Good morning. So, we're going to be looking this morning a little bit more at faith. I was at Oaks uh, about 10 days ago. I don't very often get to Oaks. It's, that's the men's group that meets down at uh, Weatherspoons, and many people have a curry and a beer there. Um, but I dropped in briefly, and as I was um, making my escape, um, I, I was um, accosted by a couple of friends there. Who just wanted to, can we just say, what is the difference? What is faith really? What's the difference between faith and hope? We're struggling in our small group to work out, you know, is, is faith just a sort of spiritualized word for hope? Because we don't really understand the difference. So we talked about it for a few minutes. Um, and uh, it just emphasized to me that there is quite a lot of confusion around what we mean by the word faith. What does the New Testament mean when it uses that word? Or the word that is translated faith, anyway. The word is pistis. And what, is, what does it mean? And it can be a slippery word in English to pin down. And within our society today, it carries all sorts of ideas and suggestions and implications and hints and, that, frankly, have very little to do with the New Testament. Now, um, last week, Adam... Uh, gave us a whole number of very thought-provoking quotations. And then there was a few on the uh, intro video there as well, comments about faith and hope and love. And then a few weeks back at our all-age service, um, we did in a more light-hearted way, we, we did a quiz to see who could correctly discriminate between quotations from the Bible and quotes from The Simpsons. I have to tell you, I was rubbish. And I'd like you to think that that's because I don't know The Simpsons. But you might conclude that my knowledge of the Bible could do with improving as well. So as we try and unpick what the New Testament means by faith, I want to start by throwing out a whole range of one-liners, one-line quotes about faith from a whole range of famous and, in some cases, not-so-famous people. It's a bit like that survey that you often get uh, get asked to fill in when you bought something or, or had some service given you. And, you know, they ask you at the end of it, so, you know, what was your experience like? So would you like to rate us on a scale of, you know, I fully agree with this statement that you were wonderful or whatever, or I mostly agree, or I neither agree nor disagree, or I mostly disagree, or I completely disagree. So you get usually about five those five choices. Maybe you want to add a sixth one in saying, I really have no idea. But what I'd like you to do, <clears throat> I'm going to read a, a succession of quotes, just one-liners, and I'd like you in your mind, I'm not going to ask you to stick your hands up and show how clever you are, but I'd like you in your mind to mentally assess them. I agree, I mostly agree, not sure, disagree. Just instant, your instant response, yes, that resonates, I think that's right, or oh, I'm not sure about that one, or I mostly disagree with that. Okay, so here we go. You might want to close your eyes while I just read these for you. Faith is believing what you know isn't true. Faith, to my mind, is a stiffening process, a sort of mental starch. 
faith in oneself is the best and safest course. Faith is not wanting to know what is true. Nothing is so firmly believed as what is least known. Faith is knowledge in the heart, within the heart, beyond the reach of proof. You just have to have simple faith. Or faith means not worrying. Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. How are you doing with the grading? Are you getting that? Get that? Oh, yes, no, maybe. Faith is spiritualized imagination. Have faith in God. God has faith in you. Faith is a passionate intuition. Keep the faith. Don't lose your perseverance and always trust your gut instinct. Faith is reason grown courageous. Here's an interesting one. If you listed all the reasons for your faith and all the things that make you cry, it would be essentially the same list. Faith is believing that the outcome will be what it should be no matter what it is. A casual stroll through the lunatic asylum shows that faith doesn't prove anything. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. Here's one you may have heard before. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. I don't think that we're meant to understand it all the time. I think sometimes we just have to have faith. Belief is the death of intelligence. Faith is about doing. You are how you act, not just how you believe. Some things have to be believed to be seen. And finally, here's a quote from a song. Only the ones who believe ever see what they dream, ever dream what comes true. 
whole range of authors there, um, people responsible for those quotes. Uh, if you want to know who they were, come see me afterwards. Um, but some of those authors were very definitely, most certainly, followers of Jesus. Some were definitely not. And some may have assumed that they were, but we might think that their ideas on faith suggest otherwise. You see, there's this vast range of opinions about what faith's about, and it's no surprise that people are often unsure what to make of people, those of us who say that we have faith. If you use that phrase, oh, I'm a person of faith, I have faith, it can evoke all sorts of reactions. So today, if you say you have faith, many will assume that you are someone who chooses to believe crazy things with no rational evidence. Or, if you say that you have faith, that you're the sort of person who's happy to take a leap in the dark, stepping out into the unknown without prior thought or planning, a blind leap of faith. Basically, you like taking reckless gambles, reckless risks. Others today will presume that having faith is an entirely sort of internal, subjective, touchy-feely, intangible thing. Some people just seem to have this thing and others just don't. Or others just equate it with being an eternal optimist. Remarkably optimistic, everything can be falling apart around them, but somehow they seem to assume that everything will just work out fine in the end. And some of those distorted ideas, or slightly not sure ideas, they kind of get absorbed by us as Christians. And so we sometimes think, well, that's sort of what faith's about, isn't it? It's something like that. And we add some other things to them. So in, uh, in religious circles, faith is often equated with merely giving intellectual assent to certain doctrines, subscribing to what Christians are meant to believe. Well, there's another one which, particularly in Christian groups, it can sort of imply that faith is, means to loudly declare what you really want to be true, making some sort of intense mental effort to convince yourself that this thing is going to happen and straining to suppress any lurking doubts to the contrary. And of course, if that specific something then turns out not to happen, clearly you didn't have enough faith. Those are some of the sort of impressions that we get when we're talking about faith and that people hold of us if we say we are people of faith. But the New Testament uses the word that is translated faith and the sort of associated words connected with it, belief, trust, that sort of thing, all that, those root words, in, I would suggest, three main senses. I just want to go through those to try and help us get a, a more certain handle on what we mean by faith. Faith in three senses. And the first one is faith as commitment to the fundamental truths concerning Jesus. And you find this in the New Testament, particularly where you find the phrase the faith with the definite article there. So um, you'll find in, in Jude, the book of Jude, 
the author writes, Dear friends, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. Or again, um, in Corinthians, Paul says, uh, says to the, the believers there, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. And what he's talking about there, and it's, it, you find it's quite a lot in the epistles and the New Testament, he's talking about the fundamental truths concerning Jesus. And that's important because truth matters. Perhaps we need to say that. It sort of ought to be obvious, but in today's society, it's a bit unclear. But truth really matters. You see, our faith is not believing something that we know isn't true, like one of those quotes said, or for which we have no rational evidence. Faith is not anti-intellectual. You know, some people really think things through their intellectuals and others have faith. No, it's not that. Our faith, in the sense of our commitment to the fundamental truths concerning Jesus, is based on solid, compelling historical evidence, most essentially about the resurrection, about which we sang earlier on, that first song we sang, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. You see, some people, even around Christian sort of circles, seem to sort of suggest that we don't need to worry too much if these things are, are not sort of actually true. It doesn't matter too much if they're not, not really, really true, just so long as they somehow feel true to us and perhaps make us feel good, that that's somehow enough. And the New Testament says an emphatic no to that. All right, no. It matters that some things are true. So, speaking personally, if it were to be established beyond any real doubt that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then, hard though it certainly would be, I would abandon my faith immediately. Because it matters that it's true. And I, the Apostle Paul would have done exactly the same thing. And while we cannot conclusively prove in a way that would be entirely satisfactory to every, every skeptic that there may be, we can't prove that Jesus was and is who he claimed to be. There is compelling evidence to support that. So if somebody asks me, why am I a Christian? Why am I a person of faith? I could give all sorts of reasons about my personal experience and my, my awareness of God's presence in my life and wonderful occasions of worship and how I've seen God act through situations. But fundamentally, in there, right at the core is, I actually believe it's true. And that actually matters. Not just that it works, it's true. It works because it's true, not the other way around. And I... I was brought up um, singing some, some rather, what now seems slightly twee songs. I'm sure they were good at the time. But some of them encouraged this kind of idea that it's all a bit subjective and it doesn't actually matter. You know, he lives, he lives within my heart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Well, he does, and that's wonderful. But that's not the whole answer of why I'm a Christian. You ask me why I know he lives. I know he lives because I believe he was raised from the dead. It matters that it's true. 
And then again, perhaps despite all the nonsense that we're hearing today in some circles about alternative facts and fake news, it's important to say there is such a thing as truth, including the truth on which our faith is based. Not everything is simply a matter of private, subjective opinion. You know that quote I read earlier, knowledge within the heart, beyond the reach of proof. Well, it may be beyond the reach of proof, but it's not beyond the reach of genuinely rational conviction. The modern idea that this is my truth, you tell me yours, and I'll just throw that in so that you know how cool I am that I understand the Manic Street Preachers. It was an album. But faith in the sense of the fundamental truths concerning Jesus and his kingdom is not purely a matter of personal perspective. And not every opinion is equally consistent with the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, as Jude said. Not every opinion about Jesus and his kingdom is equally valid, even though we kind of like wish it was, but it's not. So for me, that means I cannot just casually disregard the core New Testament teaching about Jesus and his kingdom. The apostles are very, very clear, Paul particularly, that there are some matters, some things that are matters of personal conviction. And Paul encourages us, and he's very wise in this, to steer clear of getting into arguments and disputes about such secondary matters. It's not helpful, it doesn't take us forward, it doesn't lead to good things. But equally, there are fundamentals of the faith that are of central importance and for which we need, as Paul says, to contend, to stand firm on. And if I can quote a perhaps slightly odd example. So Paul argues that what food we feel free to eat can be a matter of personal conviction. In the New Testament times, it was whether it had been used in a, uh, a pagan temple. And some people were worried about that. And Paul says that that's a matter of personal conviction, whether you feel free to eat that food or not. What is not a matter of personal conviction, he said, was whether you were even prepared to eat food alongside and in fellowship with all of God's, other, uh, all of God's people other followers of Jesus. So when Peter started being a bit selective about who he would associate with, Peter confront, uh, Paul confronted him to his face. That's not an option. That's not okay. That's not a secondary matter. That's fundamental. What food we eat, secondary. Who we eat it with, quite important. And as we read the New Testament, I would suggest that we need to consciously look for and identify those references that clearly constitute the core central foundations of our faith. You'd be surprised how many, if you like, creedal statements, you know, fundamental statements of this is what the central core of Christian faith is about. Identify those. It's helpful to do that. As you read the scriptures, do that. Holy Spirit, I pray that as, as we are praying, as we are talking, as we interact with each other, and as we, as we read the scriptures, will you highlight to us, will you underscore to us those things that are of central and first importance? Okay, so that's, that's the first thing, faith 
as a commitment to the fundamental truths concerning Jesus. Second sense in which faith is used is faith as active trust in Jesus. And trust that leads us to then do as he says. Jesus says in John 14, trust, same word, believe or have faith, trust in God and trust also in me. And you remember the story of the centurion who came to Jesus, worried about his servant who was critically ill. And he said, Lord, my servant lies in bed, paralyzed in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. Just say the word for where you are and my servant will be healed. And Jesus loves him for that and commends him for his trust. The man simply trusted. He had total confidence in Jesus. This is the sense in which the word faith is most often used in the Gospels. It means trust, specifically trusting Jesus. People either trusted Jesus, often for, in the context of healing, or they did not. But please note, this was never just a kind of theoretical trust. It wasn't just a passive acceptance that Jesus was someone who on balance you could notionally have confidence in. It wasn't that kind of intellectual, just sort of, yeah, I think he's sort of trustworthy. It was always an active, always a, uh, an active thing, a, a specific thing, a, a happening thing, an acted out thing. So Jesus said, come. So they came, think of Peter on the lake. Jesus said, go and wash, and they went, and they got healed. And Jesus said, give me your picnic lunch, and they did, and 5,000 got fed. Trust always leads to obedient action. It's not just a kind of concept or a, a sort of file it away up here somewhere. Trust is an active thing. Adam was talking about that last week, how faith in that sense is uh, kinetic. It's, it involves movement, it involves action, it involves obedience. And Jesus is quite explicit in challenging the people around him at the time. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I ask, when you don't do what I say, he says in Luke 6. So trusting Jesus is more than merely raising a hand at a meeting. It's learning to trust him and therefore to do as he instructs in our daily lives. That's what trust is. Just a little diversion for a moment. Just a word about healing. Because faith is very often spoken of in that context, both in the Gospels and today. And it sometimes seems to be implied that we need to have an especially intense sort of faith if we want to see people healed or if we want to receive healing ourselves. We have to have some sort of unique, special sort of faith. It sometimes almost feels like we're expected to summon up a kind of faith in our faith. I believe strongly enough, and I have faith in my faith. I'm not convinced that that's necessarily true, and it certainly doesn't fit with my own experience. I know others who've had the similar thing, and yeah, I need to grow lots more in this, there's much further to go. But you know, I've prayed for people in a context of healing, and I would have to say that my ex 
expectancy, my feelings of confidence about that, were at a moderately low ebb. I wasn't actually brimming over with expectancy that this person was... And yet they get healed occasionally. And I think the opposite is also sometimes true. When I'm really pretty confident that this is definitely God and, and somehow it doesn't necessarily quite happen as I expected. And I know that's true for others. So I don't think it's this sort of magical sort of faith that we're somehow supposed to summon up and suppress any kind of lurking doubts in the hope that that's necessary for healing, either to receive healing or to be used in healing. And I don't actually think it's necessarily what the scriptures suggest. If I can borrow from uh, the author Jordan Seng, it's not necessarily having a remarkable confidence that this healing is going to occur, so much as a deep and settled confidence in the desire, the willingness, the eagerness of Jesus to heal. That's what he wants to do. There can be, I believe, a range of factors why sometimes we don't immediately see healing take place, and we've got lots to learn and grow in that. But it's very, very rarely that Jesus is reluctant. We can have confidence, we can trust that Jesus, almost always, does want to do this thing and does want to use us. My faith, my trust and confidence is that whatever is going on, his desire is almost always to bring the maximum possible blessing out of this situation and he is genuinely eager to use me. It doesn't in that sense depend on whether I can suppress any doubts and believe in my faith. He just asks for my obedience. Father, I pray you'd help us as we learn to apply that. We know we've got so much to learn. We know that there are many things we don't yet understand, but we do know enough to trust you. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be willing to step out, even occasionally to look a bit silly, as we want to pray for others. And where we get it wrong, Holy Spirit, will you cover that over and bring good from it anyway? But there is a third sense in which New, the New Testament uses the word that we translate faith. And I'd like to suggest that this is kind of like an overarching meaning, a bigger framework within which, within which faith as truth, which we talked about, and faith as trust, they fit within this overarching one. And it's most clear in the New Testament when faith is referred to within the context of salvation, of our entering into God's new family, of being reborn as citizens of the age to come. And that is faith as allegiance to Jesus the King. So Paul declares, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. That's in Act 20, talking to the Ephesian elders. He's not here referring to the need for people just to give uh, some intellectual assent to the truths about Jesus, nor is he merely encouraging these people to have confidence in what Jesus says. He's talking about the fundamental need for people to recognise that Jesus is enthroned as king of creation and we are called to give our loyalty and our allegiance to him. Similarly, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself He's declaring that he now lives his life under 
the kingship of Jesus. Under the kingship of Jesus. And likewise in Romans 16, the proclamation of Jesus Christ has been made known to all nations to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Faith is giving our total loyalty, our unreserved commitment, our pledge of allegiance to Jesus. That's why in the New Testament, the declaration of faith that people made when they first became Christians and were promptly baptised is Jesus is Lord. Allegiance is the fundamental root of what we mean by faith. To borrow from a theologian called Matthew Bates in the New Testament, this wider meaning of faith, this allegiance, involves three inseparable aspects, elements. Mental affirmation concerning the truth about Jesus, confession of loyalty as declared publicly in baptism, and embodied fidelity. That's a fancy word, isn't it? Sorry, I should have warned you about fidelity. Embodied fidelity, a commitment to live in faithful submission to Jesus. So I put it like this. The three senses of faith. Faith as truth is one circle. And then there's an overlapping one called faith as trust, which we've talked about. But encompassing them both is faith as allegiance to Jesus the King. It's a bit like the um, oath of allegiance and pledge of loyalty that people have to give if they want to become British citizens. I didn't know about that until I looked it up. Um, but if someone wants to become a British citizen, and they weren't born here, they have to give an oath of allegiance and a pledge of loyalty. The oath says this, I, give your name, swear by Almighty God that on becoming a British citizen I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs and successors according to law. And the pledge, I will give my loyalty to the United Kingdom and respect its rights and freedoms. I will uphold its values. I will observe its laws faithfully and fulfil my duties and obligations as a British citizen. That's what uh, people do and have to say if they wish to become British citizens. Do you think it would likely to be any softer and less as we become citizens of the new kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated? So faith as allegiance, it encompasses the idea of faith as a commitment to the fundamental truths of concerning Jesus. Mental assent is important. It incorporates the idea of faith as declared commitment of trust, to trust Jesus and do as he instructs us, that we live in practical obedience. But the idea that somehow we can come to faith or trust Jesus for our personal salvation, but that somehow it doesn't need to fundamentally impact our lives and our behaviour and our words and how we, how we live our lives, that would have been nonsense to the first Christians. You see, faith is not some elusive thing that certain people seem to possess and cling to, whatever the evidence. Nor is it simply optimism in the face of, face of difficulties or a word we hide behind when confronted with things we don't understand. It's not straining to convince ourselves that what we long for will actually happen or somehow a technique for persuading a reluctant God to step in and help us. Faith is allegiance to Jesus the King. It's loyalty to him in how we think and how we speak and how we live. It's what it means to become a disciple.
Ah, better, thank you. We don't become disciples by subscribing to correct beliefs. Though right understanding is important. We don't become reborn sons and daughters of God by simply trusting that Jesus has won this right on our behalf, though that is absolutely true. We become citizens of Christ's coming kingdom by giving our allegiance to the king. And so when we're inviting those we know to genuinely consider Christian faith, I suggest that we do need to be clear and we need to be honest. And I said this back in March when I was teaching. Perhaps we should stop asking others to invite Jesus into their heart and start asking them to swear allegiance to Jesus the King because that is the heart of what the New Testament means by faith. I'm going to pause there. We're going to worship if the band would like to come up. And as Claire said, we have communion over there. Bread and wine. And bread and wine is a symbol, a powerful, deeply meaningful symbol. It symbolizes the core truths of what we believe, Jesus' death and resurrection, and indeed his coming again. It symbolizes covenant, his covenant with us, central things about us. It also is something that we, we do as a body in love together. And it impacts on how we behave because we do that. We need to come and take bread and wine with right hearts and right attitudes towards each other particularly. And so as we start worshipping, if you want to go, perhaps take someone else with you, go in company with twos and threes and take bread and wine. Feel free to do that. It's no obligation. It's, it's there. It's available. And let's remember, faith at the most fundamental level, is rooted in our allegiance to Jesus. Yes, we need to know the core truths about Jesus, and we do well to identify those. Yes, we need to trust him, and that means taking practical, concrete steps of obedience. And that is all encompassed in the idea that Jesus is the high king over all creation, and we are summoned to give allegiance to him. Thanks, Joe.